Good evening, and welcome to the Revelation Power Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Hopkins, and tonight I want to share with you the Christmas season. It's just a couple of days after Christmas Day in 2022 when I'm recording this, and I've been a little bit surprised, not real terribly surprised, but it's always frustrating to me. My friends on social media are bragging by the 27th of December that they've taken down all their decorations and all of their Christmas trappings and packed it all away for next year. Uh, My wife and I wanted to go to a local community that puts on a big light show in their park. And it's always been from a couple of weeks before Christmas. Truly, it's, it's typically run from the night of Thanksgiving Day until the night of New Year. And so we thought we still had time. So we, we met with our family in that community to celebrate Christmas Day, but we got done three o'clock in the afternoon. It was still light outside. We didn't really want to hang out for a few hours just to see the lights. So we said, this week sometime we'll come back. We thought we had time. And then we saw printed in the paper on Monday morning that the Christmas lights were over on the 26th. And this big thank you for having come and seen and participated in the Christmas season on the day that the Christmas season starts in earnest. (laughs) Our world has so conflated the commercial shopping season. Now that starts in October. They've so conflated that commercial quote, Christmas season, end of quote, with the real Christmas season that Christian people don't know better anymore. And we've lost sight of the fact that December 25th is the first day of Christmas. You you remember the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas? Well, number one is the 25th. Number 12 is the 5th of January. The Orthodox Christmas isn't celebrated until January 5 or January 6th depending on which branch of orthodoxy you might belong to. So we've just started the Christmas season, and the world has already turned off their lights. Most of my neighborhood now is dark. People that had beautiful Christmas lights have turned them off. Christmas, in their minds, is over. But Christmas is just beginning. We do the same thing in the church. I'd like to be able to say that, you know, in church it's better, we celebrate Christmas actively for the 12 days of Christmas and then the 14 days of Epiphany that we are, we're informed and we're, we're aware and so we do better, but it's not true. Um, in my own congregation where I attend church, we didn't really preach any Advent messages. We had a Christmas message this Sunday because Christmas happened to fall on Sunday, thank goodness, At least we had a service. Several of the churches in my area canceled their services on Christmas morning. Isn't it weird that the very same group of people who put out the little plate that says, keep Christ in Christmas, and the little plaque that says, Jesus is the reason for the season, pack them up on the 26th when the season has just started, and then cancel church on the 25th because Sunday happens to fall on the 25th and God forbid we should come to church and talk about Christ at Christmas. 
but they want to keep Christ in Christmas? No, they want to sleep in. They want to not have church because it might inconvenience the folks who've got family in to have to get everybody up and bring them to church. What better day to witness to your family and say, hey, let's all go to church together in the morning. It's not till 10 o'clock and it won't be a long service because the pastor wants to get us back out to open up presents and having lunch for crying out loud. The church in the 21st century is giving its, its place away, abdicating its authority when it doesn't have church on Christmas Sunday. That's a pet peeve of mine. Has really nothing to do with the podcast. If you're fortunate enough to belong to a church that's still bothered to have church on Christmas, well, praise the Lord. If your church canceled church on Christmas, I hope if Easter falls on a Sunday, they don't cancel Easter. I promise you it will fall on a Sunday. I can't believe it. I hope that you'll go to the leaders and the administrative board and whoever is in your church and say, guys, I may not be alive seven years from now, but we better have church on Christmas if we have church any day of the year. I mean, what about those people that you nag about all the time who only come to church on Easter and Christmas and you just canceled 50% of their church attendance for the year? Come on, man. You can do better. So, enough of that. I'm going to share with you a story tonight uh, from the Bible that is part of the biblical Christmas story, but it gets it gets ignored because we stop the Christmas story at Luke 2.20 and we don't read on. And Christmas is passed and over and we so often don't tell the rest of the story. So you may never have heard these stories that I'm going to spend a couple of episodes on, but they're Christmas stories. So Luke 2, verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus. That would have been done by his father. The name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came then for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took the child to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the coming of the Messiah, the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Messiah in person. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon rushed over and met them and took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss this servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Jesus' father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, This child is destined to cause the rising and falling of many in Israel, 
and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So a couple of events here. In keeping with Jewish tradition and law, on the eighth day, Mary's not yet allowed to be out in public. She has to wait 40 days after having a child to appear again in public. And her first appearance has to be at the temple to be redeemed of the issue of blood and the process of bearing a child. Then she's restored to society when she passes inspection by the priests. So on the eighth day, the child is circumcised and and Joseph takes him to that little ceremony where he names him and he circumcised the priest, oversees the consecration. Then they go home, they wait 32 more days. And on the 40th day, they're all due in the temple. There are two redemptive celebrations that are going to happen in this visit to the temple. The the first is for Mary. She's going to be redeemed of the filth of having a child. Kind of a sexist thing, but it, it was their tradition. I think it comes from Numbers, about Numbers 18. She's going to be redeemed and declared whole and, and restored to society. The price for that is what's spelled out in the book of Numbers. For poor people, it was two pigeons or two doves. For middle-class people, it was a, a lamb. For upper-class people, it could be something as as worthy as a bull. Um, but most seem to have stopped at a young lamb uh, because a bull would be, pardon the pun, overkill. So there's this sacrifice for Mary's restoration, which, which the scripture here names as two pigeons or two doves. It takes that piece to let you know that they weren't wealthy. There's also the redemption of the baby boy. For the firstborn son, there was a redemptive price to be paid for a blessing. He had to pay for the blessing, but it was the firstborn blessing and nobody wanted to miss out on it. And the price described in the Old Testament was five shekels. Now the shekel is an old coin from the kingdom of Tyre. And the Jewish temple adopted that weight, the shekel, for its temple tax coin. It's about 11 grams of silver each. So if for a firstborn son, you have to bring five shekels, that's 55 grams of of silver. It's about, oh, 1.7 ounces, if I'm doing the math right in my head. Uh, It's shy of two ounces of silver. Today, that would be worth uh, about $75. Two ounces would be. So so 70 grams, you're probably talking about, or 55 grams, you're probably talking somewhere around $45 at least, $45 to $50. So it's it's not a little amount. It's not something easy to come by. Mary and Joseph would have had to have sold something, gold, frankincense, or myrrh, to get this this five shekel offering, this 55 grams of of silver. 
So they bring her sacrifice and the baby's sacrifice. And they come walking through the temple. Now, you have to picture this. They are in the, the most impressive edifice in Jerusalem. It's the center of worship. It's the center of, of governance. It's the center of everything. And they've been living out in Bethlehem. And these 40 days, they've not been allowed to, to move. Mary's not been allowed to go out in public. They've stayed there, probably with family, after family didn't want to leave them and the baby out in the stable. And so now they come into town. They're not wealthy. They're dressed like poor people, common people. And they come through the gate in the morning sunshine, carrying their newborn son. He's 40 days old now. He's a month and a half. This little tiny baby and this young mom and dad, probably mid to late teenagers at best. And in the temple, there's a man, Simeon, who's been coming into the temple courts and watching and waiting because God has promised him he will not die until he sees the Messiah. And his eyes catch this little couple with this tiny baby. And they're walking towards the place where the priests do the redemption services. And Simeon is quickened in his spirit and God says to him, there they are, Simeon. There they are. And the old man gets to his feet and makes his way as quickly as he can over to where the couple and the baby are. And as they present the baby for his redemption, Simeon takes him, interrupts the ceremony, grabs him out of Mary's hands, and holds him to his chest and starts to sing. This, this verse in the Bible is indented and, and put in quotation marks so that you know that it's probably a song. And, and there's an artist that I really like. His name is Michael Card. And he does a song called Now That I've Held Him In My Arms. And it's about this moment. And Simeon takes the boy and starts to sing. Now that I've held him in my arms, my life can come to an end. He's the only way that you'll find peace. For I've seen your salvation. He's the light of the Gentiles and the glory of his people, Israel. And I just hear that old man lift his song and sing, Oh, Lord, now I can die in peace because I have seen with my own eyes your salvation the light to the Gentiles, the glory of Israel. Tears streaming down his face, his face beaming in joy. He hands the baby back to his mother and then blesses Mary, prophesies to her, really. And he says, this child is destined to cause the rising and falling of many in Israel. 
and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And that sword will pierce your heart too. It's an odd prophecy over a baby that he's just celebrated getting to see. But it it just speaks volumes of the truth about anyone who would get to know Christ for real. This child is destined to cause the rising and falling of many in Israel. If you want to know the truth, he's destined to cause the collapse of the whole nation just a few years later. In 70 AD, the entire nation is going to be squashed by the Romans, the buildings flattened, the fields sowed to salt, and the people dispersed throughout the known world because the Romans got tired of their troublemaking. The dividing line of the birth of Christ is going to stand as the single dividing line in history. From that time on, dates will be spoken in B.C. and A.D. The dividing line will be the birth of Christ. He'll bring judgment. He said as an adult, I didn't come to bring blessing to Israel, but judgment. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. I came to divide the people who really want to know God from the people who only want to do lip service to God. And and the truth is, it's the same today. We live in a world where churches refuse to have services on Sunday because it falls on Christmas and they don't want to inconvenience anyone. They're afraid that enough people won't come to church on Christmas to make it worth their while to inconvenience themselves to preach a quick message and sing a few songs? That's the world we live in. Jesus has become a commodity. Jesus is a fish that you stick on the back of your car to tell people that you're a Christian. Unless, of course, you're caught in really tense traffic situations and then you flash a little bit of sign language out the window and anybody who honks at you and waves because they thought you were a Christian would like to know there's more of you out there. Jesus has become a catchphrase. I see him on television commercials for companies that that I've had to do business with and found out that they're very crooked and yet on their television commercial, there's a fish to say, hey, church people, come do business with us. We're Christians. But they're not. They defraud people of their money. They use crooked measures. They, they build homes for people, only for the people to then find out that the measurements of the footings of the home are not what they've paid for. And then the company doesn't make it right. But they keep putting that fish on their TV commercials. Hey, Christians, come get ripped off here. And don't bother us with having church on Christmas Day because we're going to be in bed sleeping. The truth is, if you want to dive into the Bible deeply, if you want to do Bible study rather than just Bible reading, which is what most people do and call it study, 
right? I mean, I've sat in Bible studies my whole life and almost no one prepares and almost no one dives into other sources, external sources to see what the setting is, what the historical context is, what the cultural context is of that scripture, what the scripture really says. Nobody looks at multiple translations to see what it is in English, let alone try to dig into the Hebrew or the Greek to find out what it really says. We don't really study the Bible. We, we do good to just read the Bible. And then we talk about what we think it means or what it means to us without really diving into what it means. And there's a danger because if you get closer to God, if you start to understand what the scripture means, you're not going to be very popular. If you start to try and grapple with what the Bible says and doesn't say, and you start to say, well, wait, the Bible doesn't say that, then you're not going to be very popular. I wrote a book a couple years ago in which I said, look, in the book of Revelation, there's no rapture event. And the word rapture doesn't occur anywhere in the Bible. That's all. Those are just both factual statements. And yet, when I go to speak at other churches or at different events, and people say, hey, talk to us about the book of Revelation. And so I do. And then we have question time. Almost invariably, somebody says, wait, uh, on page 432, you said there's no rapture? Dude, really? Well, yeah, it doesn't appear in the Bible. Not the event, not the word, not the context. Not in a mid-trib, pre-trib kind of thing that is so popular among surface Christianity today. That event doesn't happen in the Bible. You can't even make it happen without twisting the book of Daniel into a pretzel to try and come up with some kind of mid-trib rapture event. It's crazy. And I just pointed out that the Bible doesn't have to be put through those contortions in order to understand what it says and make sense of it in a real non-threatening but kind of divisive way because it's going to separate you from the people who've listened to podcasts or they've listened to, to YouTube channels who tell them what Bible prophecy says, which isn't anything near what it really says. And you're going to run into these people who've been filled with this, with this stuff that isn't true, and they're not going to like you very much. And Jesus warned that it would be that way. If they persecuted me, Jesus says, what do you think they're going to do to you? Because Jesus came and told people exactly what God meant by the things that the Bible said. And and for that, they called him the devil. They'll do the same to you. You have to count the cost before you take that New Year's resolution of, of studying the Bible more, reading the Bible more, getting deeper into God's word. Before you do that, count the cost. Because you're going, to in, you're going to encounter things that are not going to be what you've always been taught. And if you start to talk about them, they're not going to be popular. But they will be godly. They will be the Bible. They just won't be popular with your friends because it's not what they've always heard or been taught. Do it anyway. Be a Simeon. 
be the person who's been watching for Christ his entire life and finally sees him walk through the gate of the temple in that bright morning sunshine and the spirit of God in his heart says, Simeon, there he is. That's him. That's the one. Lord, let me see Christ face to face. Let me know Jesus in my heart so personally, so real that I can say, Lord, you can take me home now because I have come to know Christ himself and he knows me. Because as Christians, we believe that's really the only way you can depart this life in peace, right? Is to know Christ. Leave him in the season and stick with me for a couple of weeks and let's celebrate this season together, Simeon.